0: Thanks for doing this. Um, We uh, have known you for a long time, uh, ever since the earliest days at Kiva. Uh, That's how we all met, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, it's funny. So, you know, I I started a fund recently, and so you have to pitch all these LPs, limited partners, and all day, every day, I'm just telling my story. So, I've got it down to an art. But actually what I tell people is my FinTech career really began with you, with you two at Kiva. So um, you know, before that I was working in consulting, had no FinTech experience. And then my first FinTech experience was on the nonprofit side with, with Matt and Premal back in, uh, I guess I was 2000, the beginning of 2006. Uh, since then, uh, yeah, I went back into consulting and then I left uh, with a buddy of mine to do a payments company in Chicago. That company got acquired in 2012. I started it's called Fee doing Fighters, a little right. It's called Fee Fighters, exactly. Yeah, that company got acquired by Groupon. And after that acquisition, I had a little bit of cash. Started doing some investing. Found that I really loved investing, and I loved helping companies at the earliest stages. Um, so I, you know, I started doing that then. And then um, started this other company. It's an auction company called Innovative Auctions. That company got acquired in 2015. And then I went over to 500 startups who'd invested in in Fee Fighters and joined them, started a fintech-focused fund there in 2016. And then late last year, me and a buddy of mine, Jake Gibson, decided to start this new fund called Better Tomorrow Ventures. And so over the course of the last four or five years, I've invested in more than 50 startups, uh, all in the fintech space.
2: I forget, how did you actually get, how did we actually meet you the first time? I just remember you showed up, uh, started working for us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So uh, Premal had marketed Kiva through this fellowship called IndiCor, And I think actually at that point, we weren't sure if the fellowship was going to be with Microplace or Kiva. Because uh, I think Premal wasn't sure yet, maybe, um, and so so I applied for this fellowship. They connected me to Premal, and then I moved to India, and that's that's how it all happened.
2: What were you doing in India? I remember there was a lot of regulatory hurdles. Who were trying? Kiva didn't actually even work in India, right?
1: Yeah. So there was, you know. So I moved to India. The idea was at that time, if I recall correctly. India was the thing that people were searching for most on the site, like, you know, the search bar. Um, I think partially due to the news and Premel being a really big deal, uh, that was what people were searching for. So I moved to India to help try to find Kiva partners in India. And then when I got there, I discovered that we had this issue with the Reserve Bank of India, which was around external commercial borrowing. So um, after the 97 crisis, uh, the Indian government had basically said, we won't let uh, private institutions take loans from outside of India. And so we got caught up in this issue where if we lent money into India, it would have to stay in India and we couldn't get it out easily. And then of course, eventually that, that got solved, but um, not by me. You know, I spent the whole year there you know, having accomplished very little.
2: Were you uh, actually in Bombay meeting with the RBI or what, what were you doing?
1: Yeah, I did meet with uh, the then governor of the RBI. Uh, her name was Usha
0: Thora. It's amazing.
1: And, and uh, you know, one thing that I found, and I think Matt, you and I have talked about this before, is like, especially at that time, which it was, you know, India has changed quite a bit since then, but at that time, being a foreigner afforded you a lot of luxuries and so I was able to get meetings with literally everybody I wanted to. Like I met with, um, the I met with Thorat, but actually before that I had met with um, this guy Chidambaram. I don't even, I have to look up what his, uh, what his title is now, but he, I guess he's currently a member of parliament, but oh yeah, he was a uni- union minister of finance. And I was able to meet with all these people like in the U.S. I you I would never you know never be yeah. able to meet with these kind of people, yeah. but in yeah. India everyone's so like oh yeah, yeah okay you came from America like you you know you came in through this trusted source okay I'll meet with you, uh, and it all it, yeah it, it's interesting. Um, but she did not solve the problem, of course.
0: We still have the problem.
1: Um, another interesting thing hey, about how do Python,
0: we actually break through? Premal, I forget the story of. Yeah, we what actually, we did is the, the the challenge was um you could lend into India if you kept your money in India for three years. And yeah, the way exactly. that the Kiva experience worked is um, we wanted to tie the repayments to the borrower repayments, and so the Kiva lenders would get the money back as the borrowers were paying each month. And so that broke the Kiva model. We made it, of of the 80 countries that Kiva worked in, we had this, we made the software fix to Keep the money locked in India for three years, and instead of you getting your money back, uh, that money would get recycled to another borrower that you didn't pick. So it kind of broke the the core Kiva, you know, model. Um, but people were really excited to to lend to small businesses in India and people in India, and so yeah. I think it it, it worked. And India is interesting. I think all all um, like the BRICS have currency controls essentially, and maybe they're in a position where they can insist on. You know um, things that prevent hot money from coming in and out of the country fast.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. So let's
2: uh, let's let's uh, fast forward to today. So you started your own firm, Better Tomorrow Ventures. Um, yeah. What's the what's the theme of that, or do you have a theme, or um, what are you focused on?
1: Yeah. So we're focused on mm-hmm. seed stage fintech, and within that category, we don't have. Like there's not, nothing that we absolutely want to do versus absolutely would not do. Although I think, you know, you guys know as well as anyone, I think lending or, or I would say like consumer unsecured lending is probably a category that we, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be rushing into. Um, but in general, we look at anything at seed stage in FinTech, um, we have global aspirations um, you know, in the past, we've done, we've invested in companies in Southeast Asia and Africa, uh, as well as LADAM. And in this new fund as well, uh, we've done eight deals so far. Uh, one of them is in Mexico, one is in Israel, and one is in Canada. But the rest, the rest are in the U.S. Um, we're always looking internationally. I think, um, yeah, I still think the majority of the companies will be in the U.S. But we'd like to. To find more great companies in LATAM and Africa in particular.
2: And uh, it seems like you've always been focused on seed stage investments. Like a lot, a lot of yeah. I heard I heard one time you were the most numerous fintech investor in the world (laughs) by 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 count. Dubious
1: honor by yeah. The dubious (laughs) honor being the most prolific by count. Uh, Does that
2: does that work? Is it is it really just spray and pray or how careful are you? And why why focus on that stage?
1: So focus on the stage because that's what I like and that's what I know. Like, that's all I've ever done, right? Like, as a founder, my companies, you know, they never got huge. Um, But I love helping get companies from, like, zero to one. And it's just what I really enjoy. Uh, I think I've had the opportunity to go into funds uh, and be a partner at a a place that was a later stage fund. And it happened a couple of times. As I spent time with those funds, I realized that's not what I want to be doing. I just love the early stages. That's what that's that's what gets me excited. Um, and you know, the earlier you go, the more it is about people, and the later you go, the more it is about like numbers and spreadsheets. Um, and and, and like you become almost more like an investment banker at the later stages. So that's just not my style. So yeah. I, I like the early stage. And in terms of like spray and pray, how selective are we? I'd say we're pretty selective, you know, like even though we did 50 plus deals, um, yeah. we looked at several thousand deals. Um, you know, that's that's sort of the nature of the game.
2: And uh, I'm notorious for foisting deals upon you and send, uh, <laughs> uh, entrepreneurs from all that around the true. world. And it's just a, it's probably really hard to sift through that. I imagine you have like, I don't know, dozens of deals a week coming at you through your inbox. Yeah, Um, I think that's right. How do you decide to take that? I mean, do you just take every meeting? or No, um, no, you can't.
1: So it's interesting because there's this notion, you know, there's this popular notion right now that people should ban warm intros. So like oh, typically yeah. like you know, if if something comes from you or either either of you guys I'd say oh yeah these are my friends I trust well maybe not Matt but Premal uh that <laughs> yeah. has foisted too many deals onto me that he didn't want to say.
2: foist foist yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: but um <laughs> you know I'll take it seriously um but there's this notion that you should just take take whatever comes into your inbox and i don't know who these people are that, that think they can do that because my inbox is so crap like if i took meetings that came into my inbox they're yeah. like I, I would have no time in the day i'd be working all the time so i don't know who these people are that think that like that is an acceptable way to do it now like it's even hard for me to sift through the emails that come in and and like it's not it's actually not even just on email like the, the notion like because you're a venture capitalist and like you know, people think like, okay, you have money, let me try to reach you however. So like people message me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. It's like on every category people are like, even like somehow somebody will get my number and they'll WhatsApp me. Yeah. Um, Ooh. Yeah. People are always just trying to get in front of you. And, and you know, sometimes that works actually. It's not like I don't yeah. look at cold emails. I do. Uh, it's just, it's hard to it's hard to make yourself stand out, though, because there's so many of those.
2: Have you ever just had an amazing deal come that way? Just completely random out of nowhere?
1: Um, no, but I've had, I've had some deals that I really liked, didn't quite get there on. But this one guy, I remember he sent, he sent me an email and the, the subject of it was, I'm 21 years old and I own a bank. Talk to me. And I thought, wow, I want to talk to this guy. This guy, young guy. I. And then, you know, he really, I, I really liked everything he was doing except for, like, I had a fundamental flaw with his business that I didn't like. But um, I spent a lot of time with him. So that came in through a cold. Um, one of my best performing companies, actually, um, Chipper Catch, it's an African company. Yeah. Uh, these guys kind of, like, hustled their way into me. And, like, they didn't have very good connections. And so, like... It was a multi layered connection to get to me. But then I took the meeting and I really liked the guys, and now their company's doing really well. Um, And so I think people who hustle and show that they can get, you know, that itself is a hurdle that, like, if you can't get to me somehow, then you're probably not going to be able to sell into whoever else you need to sell into. You're probably not going to be able to recruit the best talent, et cetera. I think. The basic tips are like, be concise. So if you first have an email, like really quickly tell me what you do. It's surprising to me, you know, having been in FinTech for five years, uh, there's still so many companies that I meet that after five, 10 minutes, sometimes, sometimes after 30 minutes, I still don't know what the company does. And that you could say, uh, well, like, Sheila, you just don't understand. Entirely possible. But, like, I've seen a lot of companies and if I don't understand, that's your fault. Not my fault. Yeah. Like, it's your job to make me understand. What, and what are people talking
0: about if they're not talking about their product? Like, you know, they're talking what about... What else could you possibly... Like,
1: yeah, a lot of times people will talk about the problem and then i'll say okay like i understand the problem the problem is real and then they'll keep talking about the problem and then they like won't ever get to why their solution is any different from everything else out there or Um, they won't actually get to what their solution even is um so there's a lot of that out there uh that is you know, it's weird, like all I do is look at fintech companies. If you can't help me understand what it is, then, you know, there's a problem.
0: Shield, what's, um? It you know, fintech has a, a pretty broad definition for you. Like, I feel like, you know, it's not just savings, insurance, credit to customers. I feel like you guys are willing to look at all sorts of things. Um, yeah. Uh, that and kind of have a pretty wide definition, like how, how does uh, BTV d- define it now?
1: Yeah, so I, I think of it as, so first of all, we take a very broad definition, but I think at its core FinTech is infrastructure to exchange resources with people that you don't necessarily know and it could be a trusted or non-trusted party. And I think that's like at the core of finance as a whole. Um, And then where we look beyond that, and we are sort of our tagline is everything is FinTech. It's because like payments, lending, insurance, we think will be embedded embedded into a lot of companies in the future. And so an example would be, uh, let's say um, Uber. So Uber, uh, you know, everybody knows the company. Part of what it does at its core is actually a payments facilitation, right? Like you used to have to use your credit card in the taxi, but now because of Uber, you don't have to. Um, But there are any several more elements of it that I think make it a FinTech company, including like how they transact with their drivers. So there's, there's a payments component there, but then also there's like, you know, their driver has to sign up to get a bank account to become an Uber driver. And you know Uber has to- tossed around the idea of themselves being a bank for their drivers. So these, all these things we think of as FinTech, but then also companies like MindBody Online or Shopify or Toast that are the operating system for a small business that, it, that a business is in all day. We think all of those are phenomenal place to layer in financial services. And we think in the future, You know, the same way that like there used to be companies 10 years ago, you'd invest in a company and call it a mobile company. It's kind of crazy to think about what is a mobile company today? Every company is a mobile company. Like you (laughs) haven't, right? And so we think in the future, many more companies will be fintech companies.
2: And in terms of region, um, Pramil and I have raised, you know, we've tried to raise a lot of money. Um, for our business, which works in India, Africa, um, dip more emerging markets uh, type places. Um, and it's always been a struggle. Um, it's never been easy to raise money, even if our numbers are amazing. Um, I noticed that changing a bit, but you did mention that you're still focused on North America. Um, is What is so hard about investing um, in economies like Nigeria or India or Just a more emerging market uh, and why are U.S. investors a little bit more hesitant to do that?
1: Yeah, um, I'd say, yeah, so I'd say the majority of our investments will probably be in North America. We're totally open beyond it. But um, in terms of what makes it hard to invest outside of the U.S., it's really like an understanding of the market. There's so many companies nowadays that it's really hard for me to get an entire lay of the land. Like to give you an example, um, just in the past few months, I've seen four or five different plaid for Africas. And I think I pinged you about a couple of them, but um, you know, without being in that ecosystem all the time, it's really hard for me to like, to know what's really working out there. And I rely on people like you who do are very helpful, but still like I'm not on the ground, it's a lot harder um yeah. but that being said like i i love the region and i would like to do more there i do think africa is going to be the growth story of the next decade um you know all of the, de- the demographics are right um it, it like nigeria especially but but many other parts of sub-saharan africa i think are going to be an amazing growth story so I'd, I'd, I'd like to invest more
2: yeah, I heard you say that and I, you know, obviously we agree because that's, that's where our work is. But, um, you know, sometimes when I try to raise money, people come back with statistics like, okay, but the economy of Kenya is roughly as large as the economy of Jacksonville, Florida, or uh, the GDP of Nigeria, although it's a massive country by population, the GDP is you know, the size of Belgium. Um, yeah. So is it just a growth story from a small Number, or do you actually view the, the total addressable market as um, actually becoming huge financially in the coming decade or two?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, so you're right. Like the, the raw GDP numbers are low, but actually, I think what's really interesting is um, it's been so underinvested and the infrastructure has been so bad that, like, that's where there's a dislocation, that's where there's an opportunity. There's a huge population right like 1.2 billion people um and they're growing at some insane rate i think it's like six percent a year or something don't quote me on that obviously i haven't looked it up um yet only 20 percent of people on the continent have bank accounts um and then if you look at the growth in smartphone penetration for example it's been amazing it's been an amazing continent to be on for smartphones uh for smartphone manufacturers um and so i think where there's opportunity is because there's this dislocation of a big population and it is growing and GDP is also really growing. And so I think the size of the market while important is less important than the growth because if you're a startup, what you're betting on is the growth and being on that like growth trajectory. So that's sort of how we look at it.
2: Um, Almost out of time. I wanted to get in a question about your experience with Zoom Bachelor Um, (laughs) How did it go looking back? um, Was it everything you imagined?
1: Yeah, it was really fun. Um, So for those of you who don't know, Zoom Bachelor was a bachelor style show, uh, but all over Zoom, it was broadcast on Twitch. And uh, there was first the Zoom Bachelorette. I was one of 12 uh, of the guys on the Zoom Bachelorette show. I lost, um, but they decided to make me The Bachelor. So then there were twelve women vying for my affection. Uh, it happened a couple months ago. It was really fun. There were all sorts of competitions. It was it was just a great experience you raised overall. Raised a lot for charity. Raised a uh, hundred thousand bucks for charity. Um, it was great. Uh, being in the Zoom Bachelorette actually ended up cir- circuitously landing me in a Justin Bieber music video. Uh, it was really fun. Uh, And, uh, you know, I, I went, Anna is the woman that I ended up, uh, ended up winning the zoom bachelor or winning, winning my heart on the show. We got zoom engaged as they say. Uh, and then we went out a couple more times. Uh, but I think we weren't, we weren't feeling a spark. We've remained friends and, uh, continued to text back and forth, but I don't think it's, uh, going to go to the next level. So you're you actually, here, folks.
0: I, people were wondering. <laughs> people were yeah. at wondering. us, kind of saying, "Well, what's yeah. what's the what's <laughs> yeah. the deal?" So it's this whole, the this whole podcast. Yeah, this whole podcast. Minds must know. Yeah. totally. We just totally. we just actually, wanted to get to that. What um, uh, g- give us some life philosophy. Um, I mean, you know, the, why I ask is um, one of the things that um I really appreciate about you is from our time at Kiva when you were living out in India, you lived on a yeah. couple of bucks a day. Um, as long as I've known you, like, it's not like fancy things. I mean, you, you know, you have the wealth that you could kind of go get really sucked into that lifestyle, but like, you're still, you know, at a bodega looking for, you know, the cheapest avocados. (laughs) And, you know, I, I like how, I mean, there are things that kind of govern the way you live, um, that, um, that I think, you know, are, um, helpful, uh, to, to, to talk about that can, you know, um, yeah. Wait, yeah, what what I mean, are, what are some things, things that you do that are a little different? What are what are what are some philosophies that you hold that we're, are worth sharing?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, for me, I think the like the frugality started out as like a I think an immigrant mindset that my parents really had. You know, when my when my parents came here, they were living off my dad's stipend and you know having to save every penny, and that continued throughout their life. And then you know to your point, now I don't need to be saving every penny but to me in many ways it's a it's a game uh like it's gamifying my own life and i i love it i love playing this game um so that's that's sort of like one thing i think in general if you want less if you want fewer things in life you can be happier and so i think i've trained myself to just not be desiring of much um and that has made me a really happy person um Part of it, though, was actually you know etched during my time at Kiva because, you know, I was a management consultant before then, uh, doing reasonably well at, at that age in life. And then I moved to India and I was living on 2,000 rupees a month, which is very little, uh, 60 bucks. And I found that actually I was enjoying my life just as much or more. And I realized that actually very few of the things that make me happy involve any money at all. Like what I want is, you know, to laugh a lot, to be surrounded by intelligent people, to like, you know, appreciate beauty in nature, to learn things about the world. All of these things you don't really need much money for. And I travel the world quite a bit, but it's actually not a big expense. Um, So I'd say that's like, that's probably my number one philosophy. The The other philosophy I have is like, I'll try a lot of things and I I am relatively unafraid of failure. I think a lot of people don't are just really afraid to try things because they think like they're going to be bad at them. They think people are going to laugh at them. Um, but I think the only way that people ever have success is to subject themselves to failure time and time again. And you know maybe there's the odd person who was successful the first time they tried something, but for the most part, I think you have to try stuff you've never done and be okay with failure in order to be the best that you can be. So that's sort of another element that I really try to live in my life. And I've never been afraid of being laughed at. And I do all sorts of things that I think many people think are stupid, but that's, that's you know, I
0: enjoy it. Uh, it's not your Twitter, it's your Instagram, which hopefully is open to the public because I feel like every open day is the something yeah. really yeah. fun that you're posting.
1: I'm at Pitdesi, P-I-T-D-E-S-I, On Instagram and Twitter, Uh, and fun fact, uh, I gained this screen name in 1995. Uh, I was it was an AOL screen name, first one. It stands for Pittsburgh Indian, and it was originally P I T T D E S I, Uh but um, I was using a product called AOL Hell, which uh, let you get into AOL for free. Wow. And they banned that screen name, P-I-T-T-D-E-S-I. So I took off one of the T's and that stuck. And I've had it ever since. Do you remember
2: I was uh, reflecting the other day uh, on the first time I used the internet. It was uh, to download guitar tablature. My guitar teacher said, hey, there's an internet. And I I asked my dad to get the internet and I, I downloaded like Every Cat Stevens. A guitar tablature in the early 90s what was the first thing you used the internet for
1: so i it depends on if you count bbs's as internet but yeah um i was on the bbs's and i you know you i would use my parents you know use the phone and call something and then i'd be doing a lot of chatting and then downloading of uh midi files which were yeah to i BBSs. did that
2: those are amazing I was, yeah
1: it was great and then playing you know playing video games i'd say those were the things that i really wanted to do at that age
2: promo what's your first internet experience
0: uh you, you gotta know, be I honest remember, here. Uh, brutal yeah, honesty no, i'll tell you uh, brutal honesty <laughs> uh we didn't have uh internet um it was just terrible uh my senior year in high school so really i felt like kind of the first internet experiences were at college in 1994 at Stanford. And I remember uh, it was a lot of those same things. Um, we play this game Marathon a lot, which is actually just, yeah, I don't know if I it's, I mean, you know, you'd just be doing computer research, but I was just sucked into this multiplayer shooter game. I remember being addicted
1: to MISC market in the same way that, you know, people have been addicted to like Hacker News, where like, you know, you're constantly, yeah. every 10 minutes you want to see what's on there.
2: Yeah, uh, it's like, so
1: it's like those Reddit. Those are the days. It's like yeah. Reddit, yeah, yeah text only reddit
0: yeah i think we did it that I was think fun that's guys it. thanks for joining good stuff
1: yeah. yeah absolutely glad to do it
0: thanks a lot all, all right, right. bye guys, bye guys.